coming up next on Contemplate. Is Acts simply a book that says what happened, or is Acts a book that tells us how to act, what to do? Is it giving us a prescription for how we should act, or is it simply giving us a description of how they acted? So the answer to that question is yes. That was Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. And this is another Contemplate podcast. Great to have you along today as Pastor David brings us an introduction to the book of Acts. This book shows the church beginning to do the Great Commission to go into all the world, which we're still doing today. It's going to be another great teaching. And here's Pastor David. So let's read the first three verses of Acts. Um, I'll read them for you, and they'll be up here on the screen. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. There's, there's the intro to Acts, okay? Now, Luke is the writer of Acts. At the very, very beginning here, it says, The former account I made, O Theophilus. And I, in that sentence, the subject, Luke. That's the guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke, the, the man who wrote Acts, is the man who wrote Luke. That's who he's referring to. And in Luke, he goes through the entire life of Jesus. So anybody who's unfamiliar with it, let me give you a quick 20-second uh, life of Jesus story. So Jesus is born of a virgin. Basically, God says, I'm going to um, put a, a child in you and, and impregnate you through the Holy Spirit, and you're going to give birth to the God-man. Jesus, who was fully had a body like you and I, but was also fully God. So he does that. So Luke talks about that, that whole process, uh, the Christmas story about Jesus being born. Then he goes through Jesus' life and his ministry. And then Jesus is killed on a cross for our sins. He, was, he never did anything wrong, and yet they killed him so that we could be forgiven. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. We call that the resurrection. The resurrection is when Jesus rose from the dead three days after he was killed. And then about 40 days later, he went up into heaven. We call that the ascension. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because the words resurrection and ascension I'm going to use today, and I don't want to just assume that you know what they mean. So I'm telling you, resurrection, Jesus rising from the dead after three days, ascension is when he went up to be with God. Okay? So... He says, the former account I made, O Theophilus. So let's talk about Luke. Luke is a physician. We find that out later in the New Testament. We know he's a doctor. He's well-educated. He's an educated man, probably a Gentile. Okay, so Gentile as in not a Jew. There were the Jews. Everybody else is a Gentile. Most of you are a bunch of Gentiles. Okay, I'm a Gentile. Luke was probably a Gentile. What's interesting is, is that Luke... If he was a Gentile, which it seems from what we can gather that he probably was, was the only Gentile who wrote anything in the New Testament. 
the only Gentile who was one of the writers of the New Testament. And he wrote more than anybody else. The books of Luke and Acts contain more words than any other author in Scripture, in the New Testament. Luke wrote the most. So it's kind of cool because as we'll see through the book of Acts, we see the church and we see the message of the gospel going from being something that's just with the Jews to something that's with the Gentiles. And out of that, we see a Gentile ending up writing a whole bunch of the New Testament. So kind of a a cool thing. We know from the way that he wrote, from his vocabulary, from his writing style, that he was highly educated, that he had a great command of Greek. Some of the best, best written Greek in the New Testament is written by Luke. Okay, We know he was an associate of Paul, Paul the Apostle. He walked around, did his thing with Paul. He probably provided medical services to Paul because if you, if you read this book and as you read this book, what you'll find out is he got beaten, stoned, put in jail, shipwrecked. The guy had problems. So it was a good thing for him to have a doctor around, right? That was a good thing for him to have. So Luke probably was helping Paul out with his many ailments. Another thing we see is that Luke writes the, the book of Luke, okay, the gospel of Luke, by going and gathering evidence. He goes and he talks to people and he gets evidence and he does interviews and they tell him, hey, this is what happened. And he writes it down. He's a historian. He's, he's looking at these things and he starts to write Acts that way. But about the 16th chapter, as we read it, he goes from talking about they, the history of they, to talking about we. Luke joins the story. It actually happens in the middle of the book, all of a sudden goes from being a history about what other people did to something that he was involved with as well. And I like that because it's true for us. The book of Acts is a book of the story of the church. We're the church. And so the book is one that continues. The story continues. And eventually, Luke's we eventually is our we. Eventually, it's us. We're the ones. We're the ones leaving out the church. We're the ones doing this thing. So it's a very cool concept that Luke, starting as a disciple, someone who had been discipled by Paul, who had been discipled by Christ and by the other apostles, and now he's in this situation where he gets to become part of the Bible, of the story. And we get to do that too. Not necessarily of, of the written word, but of the story of the acts of the apostles or of the church. Okay. Luke is, this is important, he's a very accomplished historian. And this, the, the reason this is important is because this is a book where he says a lot of stuff that he's saying is true. So it's important that we know that Luke knew how to write history and knew how to write it accurately. Now, I am not diminishing the work of the Holy Spirit in writing the book of Acts. Unquestionably, the Holy Spirit is what inspired, who is who inspired Luke to write Acts. That's, that's not up for debate. But Luke was still Luke. The Holy Spirit didn't do it by overtaking his body and making his hand go like this. He actually worked through Luke, which is a very cool thing, as we'll see in the book of Acts. God likes to work through us. There's all this imagery in the New Testament about us being the body of Christ, he likes to work. He, get, he gives us the, the blessing and the pleasure of being his hands and feet and being able to work. So, so the Holy Spirit worked through Luke to write the book of Acts. And because of who he chose to do it through, what we have is a very educated man, a man of science, and a great historian. He is such a good historian that there was a man named Sir William Ramsey, 
He was a prominent historian and a New Testament archaeologist. This guy was a skeptic, and he did not believe that the Bible was true. He didn't believe that the book of Acts was true. He didn't believe that the book of Luke was true. And he actually went to go try to prove that they weren't true. He actually went to Asia Minor, went to do some archaeology. He wanted to show that these things were not accurate. That's who this guy was. As he went and searched and did archaeology and uncovered city after city and historical artifact after historical artifact that proved the book of Acts to be accurate, this is what he said. He said, Luke's history is unsurpassed in respect to its trustworthiness. Okay, this is a historian who knows lots of history, okay? A very educated man. He says, Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy. This author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. So, this very smart guy goes and checks Luke out and finds that even though before that there had been no evidence of it, he finds all this evidence and in fact turns from being a skeptic and not believing scripture to being converted to a Christian. That's how powerful Luke is as a historian. That's how effective it was. So, so we covered who Luke is, kind of his style, kind of what he does. Now who's this Theophilus guy? I'm going to start out by telling you, I don't know. But I'm going to tell you, here are some of the ideas about who he might be. The word Theophilus means friend of God or lover of God. That's what it means. And so some have conjectured, have thought that possibly all Luke is really saying here is, hey, I'm right into this to all the lovers of God, all the friends of God. And that's all it is. Most scholars don't agree with that. Most people who have looked into this think, no, Theophilus was a real guy. And here's a couple of the ideas that they think he may have been. He may have been a slave master, and Luke was a slave. There were physicians at the time who were slaves. And so it's possible that Theophilus is actually Luke's master who allowed Luke to go out and go on these missionary journeys with Paul, and Luke is actually writing back to his master, telling him sort of what happened. That's a possibility. Another possibility is that he was just a rich patron who basically was a big supporter of Luke and Paul on their missionary journeys. He was kind of supporting them financially. And so Luke is writing him this story, writing him the, the history back to him to let him know sort of what's going on. You know, you, sometimes you might get something like that from, from a missionary group. Hey, this is what's going on in Kenya, or this is what's going on in the Philippines, or this is what's going on wherever. So maybe that's, what, maybe that's what's happening here. Truth is, I don't know. But since the name is in there, we should at least know what people think it might be. All right? Here's the question about Acts that a lot of people have. Is Acts descriptive or is Acts prescriptive? Let me explain what I mean by that. Is Acts simply a book that says what happened or is Acts a book that tells us how to act, what to do? Is it giving us a prescription for how we should act or is it simply giving us a description of how they acted? So the answer to that question is yes. It is descriptive. All of it's descriptive. It's a history. It is also prescriptive. In some cases, we learn what we ought to do as a church. In some cases, we learn what we ought not to do as a church. But it is prescriptive in the sense that it's showing us how the Holy Spirit worked through the church. Okay? And so it's, it's, there's places in it where we learn a lot about how we should do things. And there's places in it where we simply learn what happened. 
But it is both of those things. It's not one or the other. All right, let's get back to verse 1. So we've gotten through five words or so, so we're really doing well here. All right, he says, Of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Stop. Began. The word began. So Luke is referenced, this book of Luke. It's a long book, by the way, where he went through the entire life of Christ. And he is telling us here that that was just the beginning. That was the tip of the iceberg. We're just getting started. All this stuff that happened in the life of Christ, all that he taught, all that he did, all the healings, all the things that happened, just the beginning. So he's setting us up. Acts is the continuing story, the rest of the story, right? And, and, and of course, like I told you, Acts is a continuing story till today. So he said, this is the things that Jesus began to do and he began to teach. And now Jesus, through his church, for the next, now it's been around 2,000 years, is going to do all this more, all these lives that are going to be restored, all these things that are going to be made new. He's still doing it. So in, in, for 33 years, Jesus walked around the earth. And now for 2,000, he's continued to work in power through an ever-growing church. That's what he's referencing here. He's just beginning. He was just beginning to do this. Now we're really moving. Okay? All right. So... We're going to read in this book, as we get into it, we're going to read the great success of the church, that the church was effective and successful as it preached the gospel, that lives were changed, people came to know God, people came to serve God. We're also going to read that there were some great sufferings, that some of those who followed Christ had to deal with temporal suffering. There's a book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Some of you have probably read it. And those of you who haven't read it probably saw the movie, which is the same thing as reading a book. <laughs> oh, come on. You had a book report, and you were like, is there a movie? And you went and got the movie, and you, and you find out it's not the same when you're a teacher. Yeah. Never. That never happened to me. Um, so anyway, back to the point. Lying the Witch in the Wardrobe. And in that book, the chill, there's four children. They go to a land called Narnia. And in that land, there's a lion called Aslan. And Aslan represents Christ. To the Narnian world, Aslan is Christ. He's the redeemer of that world. But he's a lion. And at one point, one of the children asked, they're with these beavers who can talk. You know, that's, beavers shouldn't talk. I understand that, but they're, they're talking here. And one of the children asks whether Aslan is safe. And this is what they said. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He is the king, I tell you. Now, Lewis is understanding something about following Christ here. Something that as we read through Acts and as we decide whether we're going to act, as we decide whether we're going to follow Christ, we need to understand. He talks, Christ talks about counting the cost. And one of the costs that we count is we have to recognize that this life in Christ is not safe. Now, Christ is safe. He himself, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, he gives us safety and security in him for eternity. But your life on earth, it may not be safe. This is not a safe place in the sense of this. You may be asked to do things that make you uncomfortable. God might send you to the Philippines. He might send you to Africa. He might send you to Portland. You, know. um, you never know. 
where, where he might send you, right? He might send you to Tennessee. Uh, and he has done so for people. And he might have you do things that are uncomfortable and difficult and scary because he's not safe. And that's one of the things the book of Acts shows us is that although with an eternal mindset where we see life as something that doesn't stop at death because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, during life we may go through things that are unsafe. That is one of the themes of this book. There's great reward and great excitement and great danger. All right, verse 2. Until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. So it says he was taken up. Here, Luke is referencing the ascension. Remember, we talked about that earlier, when Jesus went back up to heaven. He's saying that he was taken up, and one of the reasons he mentioned that, because what's really important here to the idea of Christianity is that Jesus was alive as a real man, that was all God, died on a cross as a real man, that was all God, rose again as a real man, that was all God, and ascended into heaven as a real man, that is all God. In other words, always bodily, always in the body. He was, he was always that. He was never, never became just a spirit that floated around. You know, He never became a, a, a ghost. He never became that type of thing. He was always fully man and fully God. So he's referencing this here. He's saying he ascended after he did what? After he gave some commandments. Now, again, if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, you, you missed this, but we've been talking about the Great Commission. These are the commandments that Jesus has given to the church. He says, I've got all the authority. This is what Jesus says. So he says, you guys, therefore, I want you to go because I've got this authority. I'm giving it to you. I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and I want you to teach them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. That's what Jesus says. That's the commission. That's the commandment that we're talking about here. He's giving commandments, and then he's going back to heaven because he's going to send powers, as we'll see later in Acts. He's going to send this power to empower the church through his Holy Spirit when he's giving these commandments. So it's important that Luke lays that out here in his introduction so that we know what's coming. What's coming? The commandments are being fulfilled through Acts, okay? Jesus gave the, gave the marching orders, went back up to heaven, and now what we're seeing is those marching orders being carried out throughout the book of Acts and, and today, to this very day. We're doing it right now by being here. We're still carrying out his commandments, and that's what Luke is talking about. That's why it's here in his introduction. All right, verse 3. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Luke says he presented himself alive after suffering. Remember, we talked about this. He died on the cross. He suffered. The disciples saw him dead, beaten, and dead. And then Christianity, that's where it sat for a couple of days. That's where Christianity was. With this dead man, the disciples were scared. They were running. They were afraid. And then, he says, he showed himself alive, which was kind of a big deal to these guys after seeing somebody dead. That's not something that happens a lot. So, so Luke is, is telling us that he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. Now, when Luke talks about proofs, he's talking about proofs. 
Luke was very serious about accuracy. We just saw that from Sir William Ramsey, who said, this guy is incredibly accurate. Luke has a penchant for detail, for accuracy. And he is telling you that although he was not an eyewitness to the resurrection, he has thoroughly investigated this thing. And it's true. And he knows it's true because there are many infallible proofs of it. Proofs that cannot be disproven. Proofs that are obvious. It's beyond a reasonable doubt. That's what, that's what Luke is telling us, okay? He's saying very specifically by using that term that this book that he's writing, he's writing the introduction here, remember, to this book, that this book that he's writing is not a myth. It's not a legend. It's true. That's what Luke is saying. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, his other book, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And he says this, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us... It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent, Theophilus. So we see that Luke also, the book of Luke was written to Theophilus. And we see this, he says, having had a perfect understanding of all things from the very first. What he's saying here is, I have investigated this so thoroughly that I understand perfectly what the truth is. And then what we see hundreds of thousands of years later is people going and testing to see if it was true and finding out that he was right. That all the things that he says in here are true. And so that's what he's saying. The other thing that's neat about this verse is we see this discipleship spiral that we've been talking about, or that I've been talking about, for the last couple of weeks where we see I'm being discipled and I'm discipling others, then they're being discipled and they're discipling others. And we see this going down through the ages, literally from Jesus Christ himself to us today in this room. You see it here. Those from the beginning were eyewitnesses. They delivered them to us, and that seemed good to me to write to you. So Luke is doing the same thing. He's following this pattern, right? He's obeying that commandment to make disciples. So that's what we see here. Luke is very serious about the facts and claims to have had a perfect understanding. Remember, this is a man of science. This is not this is not some guy who's just like, yeah, I sort of feel like that's true. This is a scientist. This is a historian. This is a guy who's saying, this is real. And why is it important here? Because Christianity hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It hinges on that. If that is not true, there is no Christianity. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. He says, and if Christ is not risen then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. He's saying, if the resurrection did not occur, there is absolutely no point to waste your Sundays in church, to worry about doing Christian things, to worry about acting in a Christian way. There's no point. It's worthless. It's empty. He says this in verse 19. He says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. When he says, in this life only, he's saying, if all we have a hope in Christ is, is in life, not in resurrection, then we're very pitiable. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're not rising from the dead. In other words, we will die in our sins, and it'll be bad. He's saying, we, if that's true, we're of all the people in the world, we're the, we're the kind of saddest crew around. Because we don't have this resurrection. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is absolutely imperative. Prove it wrong, Christianity is dead. There's no Christianity if you can prove that Christ did not rise from the dead. So, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ a fact? 
answer to that all-important question is yes, and I'll refer you to podcasts number 48 and 49, where Pastor David goes into great detail about the resurrection and the amazing amount of proof there is. We can be confident that the Bible is true, and the things it tells us about how to live are also true, and everything points to Jesus. Now, if you still have questions about all this, come see us this Sunday morning at Axe Church. Get directions and all the info you need at axechurchnw.org or call 360-885-9000. Hope to meet you this Sunday. And be sure to click on the next episode for more great teaching with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate. Contemplate.